We pray that our eyes would be enlightened, our spirits would be strengthened, that we would increase in faith and ever abound in the love of God. Lord, we thank you for it ahead of time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 17. Everybody, praise the Lord. Y'all ready to get in the Word? James 1, 17. Every good gift. How many of you are believing for some good Christmas gifts? Every good gift. God doesn't have bad gifts. He doesn't do any re-gifts. You know. <laughs> every, every. You know what that means? There's more than one. He's got multiplied good gifts. That'll preach right there, won't it? Every good gift and every perfect gift. Wow. Perfect gifts are the kind of gifts he gives. He doesn't have any imperfect gifts. The gifts he gives are not going to break on Christmas Eve day or Christmas day. No. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Say with me, I receive receive your gifts, your your good gifts that you have for me. me. I want to just mention five and then I'm going to hone in on one specific gift this morning. Probably the greatest gift and one of the greatest gifts is the gift of righteousness. Look over at Romans, the fifth chapter, in the 17th verse. Romans 5, 17. What a great verse of Scripture. It contains within it the free gift of righteousness. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more those who receive something about his good gifts, they must be received by faith. And... They receive the abundance of grace and what? And the gift of righteousness will cause you to be beat up and beat down in life. The gifts that God gives pertaining to your right standing with God enables you to have dominion rather than to be dominated. To have victory rather than being the victor. Amen shall reign in life through the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. This great exchange took place over 2,000 years ago. Jesus came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, born of a virgin. He came with a purpose to give us life and life more abundantly. His purpose was to come and to undo, hallelujah, and loosen and dissolve the works of the enemy where you and I are concerned. He was made sin for you. 
who knew no sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The second gift that we're going to hone in on in a little bit is the precious Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? If you then, being evil or natural, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Oh, glory to God. Say it with me. Thank God. For the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And then number three, he's given us the word of God. This is a huge gift. How we honor it and value the word will determine the health of our life, the health of our marriages, the health of our finances, the health of our relationships. And then fourthly, he's given us ministry gifts. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I thank God for the ministry gifts that I've been able to be mentored by and to sit under all these years. We are to value. Ministry gifts are a big gift from God. And then, number five... He has given us the local church. He's given us community. Your good father gave you the gift of a good church. A community of believers. And when we learn that we are a part of a body with many members in our body, when we learn to flow and to work together, I'm telling you what, the sky is the limit. And the more we respect the local church, the better our life will be. I read this post yesterday and I had to laugh and I'm sure that you will too. And I want to remind you that it's not me who wrote this post, so I'm not talking about me. But he said, the difference in fitting in and belonging is, I try to fit into my skinny jeans, but I belong in stretchy pants. And then he went on to say, go where you belong, not where you fit in. Go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And you know what? God dances over us with rejoicing. God dances over us with shoutings and praise. Every one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made, accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah! And your Father celebrates you every day. And we celebrate you as well. God celebrates the local church. Bill Hybels, this great pastor from Willow Creek, outside of the Chicago area, says the church is the hope of the world. And that's what we're all about. We don't want to become inward conscious where all we're doing is believing God for a building payment and believing God for this. No, we want to expand our horizons. We want to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Both locally, nationally, and internationally. So I want to center in on the Holy Spirit today. What a glorious gift. Turn with me quickly over to John 13, if you would.
And oh, we're going to have communion today, and it's going to be an awesome time. Man, it's already been so good to be in church, hasn't it? In John, the 13th chapter, Jesus' earthly ministry is about to wind up. And in John 13, 1, he says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. Pay particular attention to that. He was cognizant that soon and very soon he was to give his life as a ransom for all. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and he went to God, he rose up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And that he began to pour water into a basin, and to wash his disciples' feet. This is very significant. He began to pour out, and to wash his disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith that he was girded. I want you to get the picture here. He knew his hour was coming. And he also knew that it was time for him to spend intensive time with his disciples to pour into them. If I knew that I was to go the way of the earth. If I knew that my hour was come. I would pull my family together. I would pull those close to me together. And I wouldn't be talking about the A's or the Giants or the 49ers or Lord knows the Raiders. It would not be a lot of fluff talk. It would be talk and conversation of what they needed to know after when I was gone so that they would be able to carry on. And this is the picture of Jesus. You see this throughout the Word of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses knew that his hour was come. And so he took quality time to pull the tribes of Israel in. And he began to pour into them. And then he came along Joshua and laid his hands on him. For surely the wisdom of God came upon Joshua so that he could carry on and know what to do after Moses was gone. Somebody say amen. Amen. And then we see this with the Apostle Paul. He's drawing people close to him. And he's pouring and he's pouring and he's pouring into them. The moment that Jesus became aware that his hour was come, he went from a public ministry to a private ministry of his inner circle. And if you will read John 13 through John 17, you will notice a lot of red in your Bible. If you have a red letter edition, you will see that Jesus is speaking specifically to them what they needed to know, how that they would be able to carry out. Basically, he was laying the mission that he started at their doorstep. These are serious words. These are serious times. Everyone say, it's time to impart. And at the end of John 17, and I want you to look over there in verse 24 through 26, he ends it with a prayer. How many of you know Jesus is praying for you today? I said, Jesus is praying for you today. 
He ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, not twiddling his thumbs. He's watching over the affairs of this earth, and He is watching over you. This prayer that he prayed was so powerful. Verse 24 through 27. Father, I will that they will also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Help me out. Read verse 25 through 26 with me. Or 27. Ready, read. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me. Wow. If you follow the Master's ministry very, very carefully from John 13 right through John 17, I encourage you to read it this week. You will see that he emphasized two major themes. The first theme that he emphasized was love. Somebody says, well, what's love got to do, got to do, got to do with it? Jesse Suplana says everything. Love is the royal law and the big commandment that we've been given. He said, now a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Amen. Look at your wife and say, I love you. Yeah, I love you, baby. She got me a pair of red PJs. I'm sporting those PJs around now. I told, I told, I told her yesterday. I said, "Look, I got these jammies on. Let's call the grandkids. They need to see Papa in some red PJs." Red stands for fire. Yeah. Hallelujah. So he emphasized loving one another. And he said this, that, you know, when you do that, people are going to know that you're my disciples because you have love for one another. When you love one another, guess what? Nobody's perfect. You learn to put up with each other's stuff. You just learn to love in spite of yourself. Love believes the best of every person. Years ago, the Lord just quickened me with this thought. Love believes the best, but certainly leaves the rest. Only God can change people. Our business is just simply love one another. But the second thing that he emphasized was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, Him in you is extremely important because He wants to flow through you and He wants to come upon you in greater ways. But we need to learn to cultivate and develop the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us so that He's able to flow through us. We use this term throughout the years in this church, become God inside-minded. Become Holy Spirit inside-minded. And so Jesus begins to tell us about the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14, verse 16 and 17. Do I have any readers in the house today? 
Let's read. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, there are four, and someone reminded me of the fifth this morning during the second service, or during the, after the first service. There are five major roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Five major roles. Or we could say it this way, five major avenues that he works in the life of believers. One, how many of you know he's our comforter? Say it with me, he's my comforter. So that means that we don't have to live comfortless. We can lead, live comfortably. Even though we might be faced with some uncomfortable situations, if you acknowledge the comforter in you, he will begin to manifest himself to you. And he'll bring comfort to your soul, comfort to your body. He will comfort you. Even during the holidays when you're missing people that are no longer living here on earth. He will comfort you in your midnight hour. If you will simply acknowledge him, he will begin to manifest himself to you as comforter. But notice with me in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But when the Comforter, number one, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, number two, teach you all things. Say it with me. He's my teacher. He's my teacher. But not only that, he will bring all things to my remembrance. Number three, he will bring all things to my remembrance. Whatever I need to be reminded of, he will let me know. And you know what? I'm expecting him to do this. How many folks we got with their expectors on today? Say to me, I'm expecting the Comforter to comfort me, to teach me, and to bring all things to my remembrance. Now notice with me in John 16 and verse 13. Here's the last two. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will, number four, guide you where? The Spirit of truth always leads us into truth. He will not speak of himself. Whatever he hears, that shall he speak. And he will, number five, what will he do? He will show you things to come. And so the primary work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is found in those five areas. And what Jesus is pouring into his disciples in his last hours, he is telling them, you must be ever-loving And you must be ever learning, ever loving, regardless of what your flesh may feel like, ever loving, and then ever learning, not getting this attitude that I have arrived, I've heard this already, I don't know, I think I've already arrived, you haven't even left yet, (laughs) ever learning, it's called having a meek spirit. We are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Meekness means with a teachable attitude. You know, thank God for what you do know 
and thank God for what I do know. But you know, we only know in part. But oh, there's a whole lot more of that part to know. Amen. 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 Say with me, ever loving loving. and ever learning. And then the Apostle Paul comes along and he encourages us and really warns us about some things that could disconnect us from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, if there's some things that are going to have the ability to disconnect me from His work, I need to know what they are. And I need to make very sure that I guard my heart diligently so that I don't allow myself to be disconnected. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 18 through 21. And I want us to read that together. Let's read the verse verse and let's camp out there for a minute. Ready, read. In everything give thanks... In how many things? In your car? In your house? In the church? In the midst of a trial? In everything. Verse 19. Read it with me. Quench not the Spirit. Verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Now, when he's talking about quench not the Holy Spirit, I used to think that that only applied to a church service, you know, where you had some wet blankets around, they didn't want to move of the Spirit, and they just kind of stifled everything. And that can happen, but I don't see any wet blankets here this morning. Let me see. I used to think, you know, people used to think, well, you know, when that happens, the Holy Spirit takes his baseball, he takes his bat, and he leaves the house. Really? No, I think that there's a deeper meaning to the quenching of the Spirit. It's not just talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It includes the gifts of the Spirit. But he's talking about quenching the Spirit and those specific five avenues, if you will, that he works in the life of a believer. It's possible to quench the gifts of the Spirit, but it's also possible to quench the leadings of the Lord. It's possible to check that, you know, to to quench those checks in your spirit. You know, I just heard about a missionary not too long ago that had been in ministry for years. You know, you can be in ministry for years, and if you ignore and override the leading of the Holy Spirit, it can cost you. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Well, he told his wife they had to make a trip to Tulsa and from Dallas to Tulsa. And he says, you know, I need to get my tires changed. We need to get those changed before we go. We need to make sure that those tires are safe. Well, he said it a few times and time went by. They got distracted and he overrode it. And as a result, unfortunately, the the van they were in rolled over and he lost his life. And his wife lived... And she would go to this Raymond instructor every time she would see him. She says, I just can't get away from the phrase that I hear over and over again. I know we need to change the tires out. That's just a very, very 
graphic picture of what can happen if we ignore Him. Or what could happen if we override Him. And it's not always a a, a thing of life and death physically, but it could be life and death in another area. It could be life and death in your finances. It could be life and death in your physical body. For instance, if there's something going on in your body and you need surgery and you know the surgery will take care of what's happening in your body and because of fear you don't do the surgery thinking you're in a higher level of faith than you really are. Come on, guys. I'm talking practical stuff. If you override and ignore, I mean a true leading of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. God could tell you not to have the surgery and you could be healed yesterday. Are you listening to me? But if it's been over a process of time and the healing has not manifested, I would get the surgery. I would get the surgery. Because the removal of whatever it is that needs to be removed, hallelujah, hallelujah, can produce life in your body. Somebody says, yeah, but I don't trust doctors. Well, trust in the Lord. And trust that God will work through the doctor. I can't share too much in this church because I know a lot of number of experiences that people have had that they've overrode their spirit and taken that trip when they shouldn't have taken the trip. And as a result of doing some things that they were checked in the heart to do, destruction came. Not always of life and death. Now it's getting too quiet in here. <laughs> Someone shout glory. It's possible to quench what he's taught us. It's possible to quench the things that the Spirit of God has reminded us of. He may come along and say, now remember, I told you to do something about that two years ago. And he doesn't come on and pile everything on us at once. If he piled everything on us at once, we wouldn't be able to handle it. But that's the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from God. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God reminding you to make that adjustment. And if you will make that adjustment, your life will get much, much better. And it could be something where the Spirit of God is dealing with you and talking to someone and just asking them to forgive you. Or it could be the Spirit of God telling you You need to start tithing. You need to start serving. Don't override. Don't quench. Don't stifle. Don't extinguish. Don't put out the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I sense in my spirit that God's got such great things for you and for me. And what we want to have in this day and this hour is a clear, pure, clean conscience. Come on. So every avenue can be quenched. What does the word quench mean? It means don't stifle the Spirit. Don't stop the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Don't extinguish the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Come on, how many of you know there's fire in the Holy Ghost? That's why I wear red pajamas. I'm a fireman. Don't extinguish, don't quench, don't stifle, don't suppress the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The word quench refers to things on fire. What are we to do with the fiery darts of the wicked one? Can anyone tell me what Ephesians says? Ephesians says this. That when you and I have the whole armor of... What are you doing with those matches? When you and I have the whole armor of God on, and the devil comes about to steal, to kill, and destroy, walking about a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, you take up the shield of faith. And you quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. It is impossible to quench a match that is not lit. Well, God has lit you up. The only way that I can quench a match is when it's lit. This is where'd you get those matches? Brenda puts them in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know what for. <laughs> Y'all needed a good laugh right there. <laughs> You know, it's wonderful that surgery can take place and you have a little laughing gas. Now, the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. And when He convicts and corrects, it's for our benefit. And there is comfort in His conviction because He's then able to turn some things around. Everyone say, things are turning around up in here. So, it's impossible to quench the Spirit before He lights something up to us. Before He teaches us. Before He guides us. Before He reminds us of something. If you don't know, how can you quench Him? But if you know, and the fire's lit... Come to church, man. You get a great teaching. But by that afternoon, where is the next sermon? What are you doing with the 5,000 sermons I've preached in 35 years here? <laughs> And it is about 5,000. 
The Holy Spirit lights up something, brings something to your remembrance, shows you something to come. And you know that you know it's right and it's God. But then you get distracted. And life gets busy. He's extinguished. You can't quench the Holy Spirit until He manifests Himself. The only way that we can quench the Spirit is after the manifestation has occurred. And how I treat these manifestations determines whether or not I've quenched the Spirit or not. And we can quench Him when we don't take heed and protect what He teaches us, gives guidance to, or shows us things to come. What are we doing with the leadings that we have received? What value, what esteem are you giving to this third person of the Godhead who lives in you? You see, the opposite of despise is great value. That means not treating the Holy Spirit as common. Not grieving Him, but giving place to Him and great significance to Him. You know, when you have something in your home that you really value, you make sure it's protected. And the Bible says we are to protect our spirit diligently. For out of our spirit flows the issues of life. The Holy Spirit lives in our spirit. Let us protect, let us value this great guide on the inside. Turn quickly to Mark chapter 4. And I think that's one of the great values of a small group is. is because you can take a sermon-based sermon and small group and you can discuss it and you can talk about it and you can see how it applies to your life. You pray with me about that. I've got some things rolling in my heart about those things. In Mark 4, 20 it says, And these are they which are sown on good ground. Say it with me, I'm good, good ground. Now, what qualifies us as good ground? First of all, we hear the word. Secondly, we receive the word. And then comes forth fruit. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. We are to be fruitful. But what qualifies us to be fruitful and good ground is to hear and to receive and do. Say it with me, hearing, Hearing. receiving, Receiving. and and doing. They bring forth fruit thirtyfold, sixty hundred. And he said unto them, as a candle to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick. Verse 22, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. You have outside eyes and outside ears, but you also have inside ears and inside eyes. Come on, somebody. Verse 24, read it with me. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear, with what measure you meet. In other words, what value you place on it by hearing it, receiving it, and doing it. Read the rest. It shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear. You're interested in more? I'm interested in more. So let us take heed. Listen to this statement, and we're going to have communion in just a few moments. 
See, a message like this does not need to be preached over 90 minutes. Sometimes 35 and 40 minutes is just enough because you're getting what the Spirit is saying to you. Listen to this. The degree of importance that we place on what we have heard determines the quality and quantity of the fruit produced. We give so much value to it that we think about it Monday morning. We give it thought, we give it study. After we receive the word, we lean in, we bend an ear. James said it like this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Say it with me three times, I'm a doer. I am a doer. I am a doer of the word of God. Verse 23 through 25 says, For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he looks at himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man that he was. This is one way that the Spirit of God is quenched through forgetfulness. But that's not us. I thought I'd get a bigger and a better amen. I said, that ain't us. It ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for. Verse 25, this is us. Read it with me. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man, this man, the word continue means to remain by or near until you do Something with it. In the 70s, we used to put scriptures all over our refrigerators. Go to get a glass of milk in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden you'd see Matthew 8, 17. Himself took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. Go to look in the mirror at your fancy self. And on the mirror you'd see, but my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You go to get in the automobile and you see a scripture that says, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Hallelujah! You open up the leaflet of your Bible and all of a sudden pops out a sticky which says, greater is he that is in you and he that is in the world. I have logged in my devotions words that I have received over the years and I just keep them before me and I remind myself of it I choose not to quench the Holy Spirit and I believe that I'm looking at a group of people today that once your match has been lit you're going to take heed to it you're going to cultivate it yes Lord yeah yeah okay I'll, I'll do that Lord, you, you say do this. You say don't go there. Okay, Lord, I'll not do that. You know what? I want my match lit all the way till this race is over. How about you? Just keep cultivating it. Don't let it go out. How many of you got the message today? Place your hand over your heart. And say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your good gifts of righteousness, of your word, of your Holy Spirit, of community. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, my comforter, my teacher.
the one who shows me things to come and brings all things to my remembrance. Thank you for being, I'm being led by your spirit. And so, Lord, I open up my heart this Sunday morning, afresh and anew. And I purpose in my heart to stay lit with the power of the Spirit. Forgive me, Lord, for, the, for those times I've quenched you, for those times I've grieved you. Now I apply the blood of Jesus to my spirit, soul, and body. And I declare this day that I am Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and happy in Christ. Let's give the Lord a big praise. Amen. Amen. Amen.